Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Geordie Bailey. And I'm his fun-loving and totally not out of place sidekick, Duncan Nickel. He's not totally out of place. There's a meta panel in this that explicitly says, Listen, I've got to be here, otherwise the story would be too dark. If you need a meta panel to explain why your character's there, mate. Ooh, I think you're on the edge. I- I'm actually joking, I love Puck. Amazing character. Yeah, everyone in- loves Puck. This is... We're at peak Puck. He's some, this is some prime Puck energy going on right here. That was way too many plosives close to my microphone. <laughs> Hopefully you'll work that out on the edit. But yes, we're talking about Puck and his best friend Guts in their starring roles in Berserk. Yes, Puck is definitely the main character. He, he de- it explicitly says at one point that he thinks he's the main character. Yes, it's Berserk! We've gone back to my favourite fantasy series because, Duncan, it is the first episode of our... Spooky book club. Yes, it is. And we're going to kick off. Do you off. not like the Halloween intro, Duncan? Oh, no, I love it. I, honestly, just keep it up year in, year out. It will never get old on me. Don't you worry. Well, I will literally never stop. I don't care if it gets old on you. Duncan, how did you find, how did you find your newest perusal of Berserk? This is my favourite fantasy series. I've probably read this particular part of the story about five times through but this is your first time reading it isn't that right it is indeed so last year we came to this very fresh for me we went through all of the black swordsmen and the golden age arcs finishing off with the eclipse which is a wow please go back yeah. and listen to our episodes last year two episodes covering both the golden age and the climax of the golden age the eclipse it was an intense ride geordie and i think i needed to you recovered year. duncan it took the whole year, but when I came back mm. around to Berserk to read the next called Leg in the Journey, I was ready for it. I was excited. I want to know where it could go, because I think I mentioned this to you last year. I'd already seen the anime, which adapted what we read up to last year. So this yeah, really was... With some new... pretty major omissions, but yeah. But yeah, this is a new point. This is a completely new direction, and I've always wondered, where can it go? Most of the principal cast dies at the end mm. of the last arc. What, what more is there to go for? How do you recover from that event? How do the characters recover? How does it, how does it tonally recover? There are, I think, about, I don't know, six important characters left over, uh, some of whom only appear in, like, 15 chapters total in the entire manga. And some of them are basically the villains? Yeah. So it's a really weird place to then be picking up this series again. But, yeah. Jordy, before we jump into Berserk, have you read anything else? I have been reading something else. Um, because Halloween was coming up and because, you know, the book we are reading right now is, you know, something I've read five times before and I can skim through pretty easy. It's an extremely readable, if horrible, manga. And, well, so because of that, I decided I would take on, in my personal life, a bit more of a taxing book. A long one, in fact, a very long one. I started reading The Stand by Stephen King. Um, I've not read much Stephen King. Those of you who have who've checked out our Instagram know that I've already published a review of The Stand, or at least where I was up to at a point that I wrote that review. Not realizing that it was actually a fantasy novel. I thought it was much more science fiction. But no, no. There's a wizard. There's a wizard in it. He can fly. But in that review, I was like, this book isn't that scary. 
That's not really that scary at all. Most of the horror is like people just being jerks to each other. But then we got to the cannibalism bit. And I was like, oh no, oh no, it's 11 o'clock at night. I shouldn't have been listening to this in bed. So uh, <laughs> it's much scarier than I thought it was. I'm going to tell you now, I probably will never read that book, but I am glad you, you had the full experience. I very limited Stephen King. I did The Shining because I think everyone does. And it, I got to do it at some point. It, it freaked me out. It definitely did. Stephen King, I always find is interesting because he always seems to he goes for such slow burns that you have that moment I think I had in The Shining where you're like, this isn't that scary. This isn't that scary at all. What's going on? And then it's like the frog in the boiling water, which is not true. Mm, mm. Like the temperature just slowly rises until you suddenly realise, oh, oh my God, this is terrifying. No, for sure. When I read Misery, the only other Stephen King book I've ever read, um, I finished the book, you know, the big climax and that. I got to the end and I closed the book and I went, well, that wasn't that scary. And then I turned the light out and I went, oh my God, it was so scary. And then I turned the light back on and I spent the rest of the night reading Tintin until I calmed down. I mean, firstly, I love the fact that Tintin's your, like, book version of, like, a little safety blanket. I think that's very cute, mate, so. King Otticus Scepter, man. That's some good, wholesome fun right there. It's the least racist of them. I mean, I once did the same with one Robert E. Harris Conan's, as always. Gotta get that little mention in. Mm. I think I read, I think it was the Iron Shadows of the Moonlight. And I just binged the entire short story. I was like, I need to just, I need to just get something else fully lodged in my brain so I can, like, go to bed. Don't know, it's no shame. I'm glad you enjoyed Don't it. Oh yeah, it's a good book. Um, it, it shows its age in a lot of places. Um, Stephen King is not that good about writing about sensitive topics like, you know, race. But, you know, it is just a, it's just a well-written book. Again, I'm going to say I'm glad you had a good time. Probably definitely not going to read it. Let's it's long, it. it's long. Uh, what have you been reading, Duncan? Oh, nothing that uh, sophisticated. I've simply dived back into, once again, a bit of comic books. I picked up a couple of Batman. They were on sale recently. Very enjoyable. Getting to that Grant Morrison, the end of like an era. A lot more kind of like where it was like Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne were the Batman and Robin. So that mm. 2010 era. Oh, right. That era, yeah. Artwork was always kind of top-notch. And it was like right at the end of that era before they did like a reboot. So there was a lot of like kind of history being carried forward. A lot of characters that had kind of, I don't know, kept kind of referencing. It was really nice to read. Someone who's maybe read quite a lot of it. It was lots of things where you can go, I get that reference. Oh, I know what that is. I've seen that before. Sure, sure, so that sure, was quite sure. enjoyable. But no, nothing particularly deep. Yeah, before they did their umpteenth reboot. I mean... Yeah, I think so. They did good. They went about 30 years and then they did like two reboots in like a five year period. Yeah, because no one liked the last one and you, the latest one's not, I don't think the latest one's been received that well because they fucked up Superman's son. He used to be such a good kid. I loved reading Super Sons. I loved reading. It was so fun. And then now he's a teenager and he's too old and um, I haven't read those comic books. What I would like to know is... I don't read a lot of comic books anymore these days anyway i know see i still read an awful lot but i know you're saying like oh the most recent reboots aren't well received i do wonder if you could go back in time to like 1980 and chat to people did they maybe not have the same reaction there i I just get that little hint of like i think everyone doesn't like a reboot when it first happens i think it always takes five plus years to warm up but maybe i'm wrong I don't know. Wasn't there? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. I mean, I think um, I've read. I I I don't want to get too bogged down to this, but I did watch this really interesting YouTube video a long time ago about the new Fifty Two reboot and why it didn't work. And basically, this guy is like an actual comic book historian. He was like, 
the original uh, Crisis of Infinite Earths was really well planned. Like, they pitched it years before it actually took place, and everyone got a chance to, like, wrap up their storylines before it kicked off. Um, which didn't happen, you know, for, like, New 52 and stuff, and New 52 is a famous mess, like, complete tonal dissonance, and um, a lot of changes to characters people didn't like. I mean, just to fully jump in there, because now, now now, we're fully talking about it, you're absolutely right, they basically took Flashpoint, which was meant to be, like, a, just a Flash story event, and then made it, like, a universal event, it wasn't, like, a an Infinite Crisis-style everyone's involved event, they got very little headway, mm-hmm. but I will say, the Scott Snyder's Batman run, Although some of the characters are a little bit not quite aligned to where they used to be, it's still, I think, a solid run. Batman, I think, out of all the DC Universe, did the best out of the New 52. Which is not too surprising because he's a he's a pretty easy formula, you know? You People know what they like about Batman. Uh, no one wants to see him change that much. And when you do do changes, like sending him back in time to become a caveman and a pirate, you know it's temporary. You know, when Robin dies and Batman has to go on a quest to Apocalypse to fix it, you're like, yeah, he's going to succeed. Whatever, he's going to succeed. I've been thinking so much about that today. It's like, how many, like, great Batman arcs? And you're like, would I recommend this to someone? I'm like, well, yeah, but it also doesn't change the status quo. So it's like, should you no, read it? I'm like... It never could. Well, only, like, obviously, because it's enjoyable, but it's like, you don't need to read it, so, to get the plot. So it's, it's like that filler. It's like, well, it's not filler... But it's just the content. But obviously it doesn't matter. So in that way, it does kind of feel like filler. Really what you want is a series which just, you know, everything that happens in it happens. It's all within continuity. It always changes the characters. The characters are always progressing, even if it's going backwards and forwards. You know, even if they're regressing into their worst places, the characters are always in flux. They always have a theme they're pursuing. It'd be really great if there was a comic book like that. Absolutely, Geordie, but where would someone find such a book? DC or Marvel, mate? You could pick one. No, you don't have to pick one! You don't have to pick one! My joke could have been about Berserk, but also could have been about Invincible! Invincible's a good comic book. We're not here to talk about Invincible. <laughs> We're here to talk about Berserk. My favourite fantasy series. And I won't be delayed any longer, Duncan. We're going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about the Lost Children arc, where we rejoin Guts. We go back to the Black Swordsman arc. We go back to where we first encountered Guts before we had context for his life. Duncan, take us away. Talk to me about the Lost Children arc. Yeah, but before I do that, Geordie, something Ah! else. In this collection that I have, there is one chapter titled Berserk Prototype. And I think it (laughs) is Yes, actually, we should talk about Berserk Prototype because it's fascinating. Okay, just to bring F1 up to speed here go and watch listen to our previous episodes and you'll be up to speed there we go so guts in the prototype this is written so before the main series launched and was what was this something that the author would have written to like sell it and gone look yeah i think this is basically a first draft he would have sent this round to comic books to to publishers to say what do you think about my story right so my kind of thoughts on this so good Mm. like evidently very good the artwork in this like i don't know why but sometimes when it called itself the prototype and i know this is what you're trying to say i was just like normally with an artist you expect them to maybe like develop over the years but this just looks good from like yep that's 
that's Berserk. That is the look of Berserk. Small changes to the characters, but I think the general tone and the weight of things, it feels like it's already there. Yeah, to be honest, I that actually you, that's a good point. It actually means you wonder whether this is like him revisiting his like first script or something, like his initial designs, because the art is really good, like better than the Black Swordsman art. It's almost, I think I'd describe it as a little bit cleaner. I think when I look back at the Black Swordsman arc, it's almost like he, he just puts one too many lines in certain places. Whenever he does a... It's dark and grungy and Guts' head is a bit small sometimes. And this is like... The thing about Berserk, the prototype, is that the idea is there and Puck is almost completely the same. The thing which you notice is that Guts is like... just a bit off. He's just a bit off. In terms of the actual look of the character? No, no, I'm talking about the look of the character. I mean, he does have an eye patch, but he gets rid of that pretty quick. And also his face is a little long, and maybe his chin's a little too big. Actually, the look is off, but that's just because it's different. No, I mean that Guts, as a character, is just a bit off. He seems a little bit more snarky, I'd say. Well, there's that, but I also think he's just, like, a bit more expressive. Like, when he looks put out, he has, like, a really, like, long face. The sort I'd almost expect to see in, like, you know, Zorro in early One Piece. Yes, actually. No, you're, I'm, I'm glad you said that. It it didn't look as, um, a lot of the, how is it, facial features, the facial features were a little bit more exaggerated, weren't they? Everything didn't feel, the world didn't feel exactly, as sort of yeah. solid as maybe later, or sort of Golden Age Berserk definitely feels. Griffith looks very different in this. Griffiths, Griffiths appear in the prototype. Yeah, he's a little girl. Haha. Ha. I'm making a hilarious joke about the fact that the little girl got saves in the story kind of looks a lot like Griffith, like she has the same big white fluffy hair. Do you know what? If that was, he's just like, I need to come up with my true villain. And he looked back at this <laughs> sketch and went, there, in those eyes, I have it. Which also, I think, would be a genius so approach. evil. Because the whole point is the fact that most of the things... Or creatures guts fights are these obviously overt monstrous beings love that griffith does not look like that but yeah a lot of the kind of key ideas are there it really makes you think how much was planned and they're saying i always come back to that original kind of marvel and dc conversation how much did these guys really plan how much is just this go on a whim as things go but even in this prototype you're like great question even if it wasn't planned i think the ideas were there i don't think it felt like maybe the golden age was there but like the idea of like right i have a swordsman he is branded he's cursed he's fighting off he's gonna have these sort of i still feel like at this stage he's probably was still thinking like black swordsman arc this is gonna be monster of the week i mean absolutely that was the thing at the time it was these big broody badass anti-heroes like fist of the north star was the number one manga in japan i should probably read that one day and i'll get more context to that statement oh i haven't read it I'm just, I just, it's just a matter of history. It's like an apocalypsis one, is it? It's a big, burly man in like an... It's a, Mad Max. Yeah, going around. Mad Max meets Kung Fu meets exploding people's heads. That actually Five sounds, Finger Death Star from, you know... That just sounds really fun. Kill Bill. And I like that. I kind of see where it's there. I definitely think it's really good having it in this collection with the Lost Children arc. Because I think if it was earlier, if it was the first thing I'd read... You don't want that. You don't want the prototype draft no, absolutely before not. you start the main series. And I, d- I think even if it appeared alongside Black Swordsman, it would have felt weird and out of place. Like, well, this just feels like it could be another chapter. Why didn't yeah. you just integrate this into the Black Swordsman? 
But now you have yeah. enough context of what Berserk is, you can look back at what it kind of was without either it diminishing your kind of engagement. And we're going back to the Black Swordsman era, and it's a it's a nice little refresher to be like, oh yeah, not only are we going back to the same period of Guts' life, we're actually literally going back to his roots, back to square one. So I'm glad it's included. Great. We're back in that Black Swordsman's mindset. But Lost Children, this next section, although it is canonically more related or chrono- sorry, chronology chronologically right next to Black Swordsman. It still doesn't feel quite like Black Swordsman. You know, there's, there's definitely, I feel like, being a bit of a development there. I feel like if you go back to Black Swordsman, Guts, although he is brooding and he's clearly hurt and he's got a lot of trauma there, I think because it hasn't been quite laid out as much, we don't see as much of his fun side. I think because when we go through Golden Age and we see Guts more throughout his entire life and his kind of soft elements, mm. I feel like when you get you read Lost Children, although you could read it as, well, this is him coming to the end of his Black Swordsman's journey, so he is finally softening up a little, I think he's a little bit more... I don't think we're there yet, buddy. I don't think we're there yet. He's so, a little bit more caring and a little bit I more relaxed. Think, I think the most important thing is that the Golden Age gives you context. Like, that's the whole point of the Golden Age starts as just a flashback it's just supposed to say why is guts the way he is but it ends up being like almost a whole story of guts's life you could technically and a huge portion of berserk fans have throughout history only read this section and not read anything else yeah that's what the anime is about if you watch the anime you don't read the manga that's what berserk is but here now we have the full context. Now we know that Guts is a deep character. He's not just big man, angry sword. And we get to see with that context, now that Guts has depth, how does he persist as the Black Swordsman? Going around the countryside, slaughtering demons, purging himself of the horrible hatred in his heart. Well, his primary method, Kofi method, seems to be hitting things with a sword. So it's a bit of work there. Shall I give a brief overview of the Lost Children arc in totality? I think that would be beneficial to all. The first thing that we're introduced to when we are, when, before Guts even shows up, is we're introduced to a band of knights who serve the Pope? There's a Pope in this world? That's new. There is a Pope now. And they're pursuing Guts as a matter of prophecy. Um, they have a following a prophecy that says when the sun dies five times and there's a, a, a red lake, which is the red of the lake is guts, the blood of Guts' friends, the, the hawk of darkness will be upon the world. And they believe that Guts, the black swordsman, is a herald of the apocalypse and they are hunting him, which is like so metal right off the bat, before we even get back into Guts. It's like we did, talked about last week with Elric, and, like, the first thing that happens is everyone's telling you how cool and important he is. You get a nice reminder. You get a nice little show, don't tell, when Guts does reemerge. But it's a nice little startup. But then when Guts does show up, I think this seems great. For someone who also had taken a break in reading it, it was such a nice thing because it so quickly reestablished the world. Mm-hmm. And the character. Because we bring jump back on Guts and we're following this band of brigands, these bandits, who have captured a young girl and are talking about mm-hmm. 
selling her into slavery. And then after telling some ghost stories, they get the idea of they want to cut out her intestines, stake them to a tree and make her walk around it. Like, gruesomely horrific. Just vile stuff. And into this, like, really intense scene, we get our tonal dissonance. We get Puck, Mm -hmm. who pops up and makes a bit of a joke about it and lets the bandits know that just on the other side of this tree, trying to have a nap, is Guts. Mm. And what I like so much is we get Guts and he's first, he's just like, I'm trying to have a nap. I I see you're about to do something here with it. Yeah, please leave me alone. I don't care. But then you then get, that's what he says. But then his actions are basically almost immediately, (sighs) Okay, I guess I'll kill you guys and save the young lady. No, no words. That's just the actions. And I love the fact that in this combat scene, we just get how OP our main character is. Because he mm-hmm. mops the floor. This is one for a moment just at the very start of the fight where one of the bandits is trying to look all intimidating and like lick his knife. Mm-hmm. And the next panel is just Guts being right up next to him and shoving the blade <laughs> into his tongue. Yeah, and not in, like, an intense, oh, I've got you, way, in, like, a, whoops, I barely even noticed I was doing that way. And then the tree comes to life. It turns out the tree is evil, Duncan. It's a, de- it's a demon tree, and he fights a tree. And a man fighting a tree should be a very mundane affair, unless you're watching the Lumberjack World Championships, as I often do. A man fighting a tree tends to be a lot of a very slow, laborious buzz. Not when Guts does it. It's an evil tree. It's got an evil face and has evil teeth. And some of the art in this section, my god, Kentaro Miura is a phenomenal artist. There's this one really, really underrated panel, I never see anyone talk about it, where you see Guts from behind as he swings his sword, and like he's swinging so hard that like the ground is breaking apart, and the fluid line of the motion is just gorgeous, oh my god. I could just repeatedly say about how good the art is in this, but... I'm going to just come back to a point I believe I made last year about when he does combat in Berserk, you can always read it basically minute by minute, not minute by minute, sorry, moment by moment. One swing Mm. goes one way and then the next panel, you see where the counter swing goes. There are bits where you see he has to stop the weight of his blade across one panel and that leaves him exposed in the next. It's very rarely, Mm -hmm. ah, he slashy, oh, and then the next panel is someone getting hit. Yes, exactly. It's not like a fight where, like, Wolverine is giving a big monologue and you just see him in mid-clash of some guy and then maybe there's one or two action beats and then it's over. No, 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 no. The fights in this arc in particular are beat by beat, moment for moment. You see everything, especially a fight against the bugs later. Like, a fight against some mooks who barely matter in this story is astoundingly good. I love how we started this off, Geordie, by going, okay, we're just going to give you an overview. And then we're like, we're going to deep dive on the first scene because it's so well done. I guess we should do, I guess we're doing more of a beat by beat approach. I don't want to do that completely, but most importantly, and this is the thing that really makes this arc sing, we're introduced to Jill. Jill is the girl that Guts rescues at the front. Jill is, I don't know, maybe 12 years old. She's very helpless. Um, she lives in a miserable world. The whole point of her arc is that being living in Jill's world sucks. Uh, she comes from an abusive home. Um, her her 
father's friend tries to molest her. That's why she ran away and got captured by people who are then going to sell her into slavery. And Guts represents... Guts is the wild element coming out of the wider, mysterious world, which changes everything. He's the catalyst. And she believes that Guts is her salvation. She believes this in the most, like, oh, I, I can't even bring myself to say it sense. But Guts is this this force for change. Not good. Definitely not good, but definitely change. I think that resonates throughout the next, well, the entirety of Lost Children and Into Conviction. That's what I think that's what it's about. I think, and I don't want to jump on this too early, but I think this arc is just as much as it is about Jill as it is about Guts. Guts' main thrust is going to come in the next, the next arc, the next episode. We're not even going to talk about it today, really. But Jill's character arc is first and foremost what this arc is centered on. And do you feel like there's an element then of... I don't want to say spinning the wheels, okay? Because this isn't, from what I've gone on to read, this arc is, isn't key to the plot of Berserk. This is definitely no, an arc it's, that's it's about standalone. giving you... Just some character moments, and in many respects, reacquainting you with guts in this current timeline. Uh, yes, absolutely. And then I think part of Jill's job is that she is a lens to see guts through, because we have seen guts in one very different context throughout the Golden Age, and now we need to get reacquainted with the old guts for the, the Black Swordsman. And then I feel like we're getting but, that beyond guts, though, Geordie. But it's my mm-hmm. butt, though. But I think through Jill, you're then getting reacquainted with like the themes going forward. I think the Golden Age ends on such a cataclysmic note mm. and like such great horrors. I think Jill is really good to just kind of reset the balance and go, okay, that was the absolute epiphany of hellish horror. We're now just going to yep. remind you of the mundane stuff and just. Yeah, oh, I, you actually don't kind of think you're onto something there. It is, because, you know, Jill's what's mostly afraid of is things like domestic abuse and sexual assault. She's not worried about uh, evil angels determining the will of the universe. And just to make that very clear, though, it's good because it then makes you go, no, those stuff are horrible, it's horrific too. And that's mm. just another, you can't get completely caught up. You can't have the eclipse. Keep, you can't, how do I put it? If Berserk was like the eclipse level continuously you get burnt out as a reader. Mm. You'd stop wanting to read. It'd mm. be too unpleasant. Probably, actually, that yep. would be the main issue. But also, the stakes would be too high. It'd be hard to, to keep it at that level forever. I mean, however, talking of real-life horrors, uh, and specifically, we've already talked about it a bunch, sexual violence, um, I think this is probably, probably as, as, maybe as, no, it's definitely not, actually. I just remembered an arc to come. But it's one of the worst times in Berserk for... Um, sexual violence in its depiction. When you say worst times, are you saying, again, having not read all the present, are you saying worst as in it's presented most poorly or it's worst as in mm. it's the most horrific visual depiction? No, I mean, I don't mean either of those, actually. I guess the fact that it is mundane and it's not like a weird demon doing it, it's your dad's creepy friends. I guess that's better because it is a more faithful and less uh, hideous depiction of it. Or less... We had a conversation about this in Science of the Girls. What word am I looking for, Duncan? 
oh, I'm actually now now I'm calling it back. Not it's not gruesome graphic. Not I'm not not graphic. The other one, gratuitous. Gratuitous. Thank you. Yeah, it is actually it's not graphic in this one, but okay, I'll lay it out very plainly. The depiction of sexual violence is has less to do with the fact that it's presented in the story as happening, and it's more to do with the fact that the villain in this arc is a naked fourteen-year-old girl. Yes. Yes. And that's just a weird thing to have to depict. Like, the other day, my girlfriend asked me, Geordie, what are you reading? And I turned back the page, and I sent her a picture of a different scene of Guts and Jill having a conversation, and not the teenager just with her tits out the whole time. Now, from my perspective when I was reading this, the main one thing I will say is that, although this is meant to have been was a teenage individual they have gone through some sort of level of monstrous transformation but not much no i mean just enough like take the fucking slug count that dude's also naked but he also doesn't have his genitalia on display yes it's very specifically the female coded villains like her and slard maintain their uh they maintain their nakedness other demons get covered in fur. Other demons, you know, are presented... Other demons take on huge transformations where they don't even look human anymore. But she's... Even in, even when she goes full monster at the end, um, she's literally, like... Her tits are still out, and she's a bug. Um, and she's inside a clitoral hood. Like, that's the... It's very H.R. Giga. This was followed by a solid minute and a half of silence from Duncan. I think I broke Duncan. No, you slightly. To be fair, Berserk did. And I think this is... Obviously, it's a conscious decision. What can I really say or add to this? It's not something that you read and I'm like, this is something... Sorry, it's something that when you read, you're like, this is uncomfortable. Like, the eclipse is uncomfortable. The fact they've made a conscious decision to code particularly the villains that are women in the same way, and have mm-hmm. this depiction, clearly is a conscious decision on the part of the author. And you do just think... Mm-hmm. It, I don't think it adds. And that's my biggest thing. Like, I don't think this we're gaining much here. Why have you done this? Yeah, and like, thing, if you just... She could just... Like, she has fur around her, like, shoulders. Why can't you just cover her chest? Like, just that. And... The thing about it is that, like... I don't even really consider the nudity be, nudity to be sexualized. Like, it's so open and out like, this is just someone who is not wearing clothes. It's barely, there's not really much of a, like, sexual vent to it. It's not like so much of the anime and manga, which I've read, where it's just, you know, faces all up and titties and stuff. It's not like that. And in that way, it's almost like Oppenheimer, you know? There's just scenes where people are fully nude and it's like, this is not meant to be titillating. This is just like, people are just naked in this scene. But then she's in a, she's turned into a big bug monster and she's inside a clitoral hood and the spike she's trying to jab guts with is like supposed to be the clitoris and she has a fucking vulva on her forehead. So Berserk's quite a weird horror. Yes, it is. It's a spooky story. And I do believe, if you're reading The Lost Children Art, you have come through the eclipse. If you... It'd be very weird if you didn't. 
if you kind of read for the eclipse i don't think there's any of this stuff although the descriptions to someone who maybe has not read this must be sound absolutely outlandish it is fitting this weird tone that the story has set what i would say is i do appreciate the fact that i don't think the author was trying as you said to make the reader feel titillated but he's definitely making a decision with the women characters which he hasn't done with the male characters i think that that's the imbalance there I think if we just had a few yeah. more scenes, or maybe just just one, just one example. Like, she's literally a child. She's literally a child. I mean, and I don't want to go into this too much, but, like, it is a manga, not a comic book. They do have different attitudes towards teenage nudity in Japan. Like, that's a statement of law. It's not, a, not an opinion. That's just a fact. Anyone who reads manga knows that. Sometimes that's really uncomfortable. Some people have called Kentaro Miura a lollicon. I don't know how true that is. Uh, super gross, if that is legit. Um, it's an uncomfortable part I just have to put up with in my favorite series. This is my problematic fave. But I also just realized something. Like, in the middle of you talking, I had a little gasp moment. Because earlier, Duncan, you said that you don't need to read... Lost, uh, the Lost Village, uh, the Misty Valley, the Lost Elves. Fuck, what's it called again? Lost Children. I, I'm naming Lost this Children episode. arc. Oh, chapter. Lost Children arc, thank you. They're Mist Valley and Lost Children arc. There are two things in this thing. Anyway, um, the anime did skip it. Duncan, there are two Berserk animes. There is the Berserk anime from 1997 or 8, and then there is Berserk 2016. Are you familiar with Berserk 2016, Duncan? So when Berserk 2016 came out, I was very excited because I thought, excellent, I'm going to continue the story of Berserk. Because I'd, I'd finished the 98 anime maybe five years earlier and I wanted to see what the next part of it is. I watched the first episode and went, not for me. No, it's not no, going to work. Uh, one of the worst adaptations... Yeah, I'm going to finish that sentence. One of the worst adaptations of all time. One of the worst adaptations of all time. Uh, the less said about it, better. But they skipped the Lost Children arc. And initially, I thought, well, yeah, that's because you don't actually need to do it. If you really want to get onto exciting stuff in the, in the conviction arc, you can just skip it. But actually, no. It's because the, the villain is a 14-year-old with her shirt off the whole time. That's why they skipped it. I wouldn't be surprised. I do vaguely remember. I can't know the details of the depiction. This villain does appear in the 98 anime. Because the villain appears in the Golden Age arc, very briefly. Yeah. I cannot tell very you with briefly. confidence how they frame those shots. But what they don't give you is any further context to the character. And I think that might be their way of getting away with it. Yeah. I mean, she's not 14 in that section. She's just an unidentified female demon. Exactly. Anyway. Well, now that's been addressed... So we haven't said it, but her name is Rosine, and Rosine is a good antagonist. It is. This is a really good arc, okay? I need to say that. Despite mm. all that weird thing that's just said, this is a really good arc. Every episode we do on Berserk has to start with a section where we talk about how annoying it is, how much sexual violence this is. It's going to get worse next episode. Next episode, we're talking about the horse. Right. Sex workers. We're not talking about the horse! Sex workers. So. So I didn't catch this whilst recording, but... I just realised that Duncan corrected me um, from saying the word whores to the word sex worker. And I appreciate Duncan catching me like that and correcting me. That's great. But fans of Berserk know that I did not say the word whores 
I said the word horse. And fans of Berserk know why. What is this story about? This is the story of the lost children because the main villain is Rosine, a young girl who was abused by her parents, ran away, made a pact with demons that she could turn into a little brackets here elf. Elf. And she has then basically, once she's living in this forest as a elf, little elf. Well, it's not brackets, are they? Quotation marks. There we go. She's collecting other children. She's saying, come with me. I am Peter Pan. Come away to Neverland. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. But they should be worried because she is turning them into, again, elves. Elf. Elf. And they're not real elves. Don't need that at that time. Like our friend Puck. These are are demonic hybrids. They're horrible. They are like little fairy elves. I think Tinkerbell cross with a wasp yes it's horrible it's horrible yeah, this is so horrible and it's very very clear that this is a lot of this is not go- because there's a very where he's trying to like convince our character jill that you know come let me turn you into an elf but and we can have really fun ha- forever never grow up i don't think a lot of the other children's got the choice i think no. they're so much like into the cocoon you go i will now yeah. turn you into my elf's elf and it's really dark because uh, because unlike some of the previous, I think, villains, particularly the slug count that we saw in the Black Swordsman and the snake bloke, whereas they kind of, well, not the snake bloke, with the slug count, kind of going, oh, you know, this is how he turned to evil. This was how he's full. With Rosine, genuine pity for what yes. this character had gone through. Well, yeah, with a small child. Living in an abusive home who wanted an escape. It just so happens yes. instead of an angel giving her hand, it was a bunch of demons. And that initial pact where they're like, sacrifice your parents and we will let you live an immortal life and fly for the air, totally get. Fair yeah. dues. Not blaming I don't you. think she should be able to make that sacrifice. I don't really think she loved her parents that much. That is actually very That's true. That's not fair. That's not fair. No, I was mean <laughs> of me. We know that she did deep down. That's her, her last dying moments. Uh, it wouldn't have worked if she didn't. It's just complicated. It's family can be complicated, but a sympathetic villain for guts to not feel sympathy for, for the no. vast majority. That's the fascinating thing is that we get separated from guts's perspective because Jill is our perspective character, and even though we get access to guts's head, we're not really on guts's side for much of this story. He is as the story constantly compares he's part of he's like a monster in this story he is the hunter he's seeking out this person who is evil and probably does need to be stopped but he does it with such a brutality such a fearsomeness that it's that it's scary you'd be justified in thinking that he is a monster it's the kills a lot of children in this it's that on-off switch in Guts which becomes really terrifying. He's just on this one note of, you are a monster to me. Okay, I'll kill you. And There's no anyone who gets in my way. That's the important bit. Because Rosine debatably deserves to die. Jill doesn't. That's certainly the attitude that he puts out. I do think if you, when you read through this, all his actions speak to the fact that he will not actually kill Jill. Even when he gets well, that's not That's not my perspective. That's my walkway. Maybe I'm just being too loving for guts. 
maybe so. I think that he would have totally have done it. There are two occasions in this book where Razine, in one scene, Razine is holding Jill and Guts attacks and he swings and he misses. He just misses. And Puck says, you would have hit her. And he's like, yeah, so what? Um, on one hand, that might be a lie on Guts's part. You know, he doesn't want people to like him. It might be that he missed unconsciously. Which is inferred. But no. It's inferred in that... No, no, it's inferred in that scene. He then goes... He's like, why did I miss? And I think and that why, to me, opens up the idea of he's like... Because he didn't want to kill Jill. down. But then... But then... That is before the big trial. It's before he has to fight the bug monsters. It's before he burns the forest down to get to Jill. It's before he slaughters more elves... Uh, and before he has this big throwdown with Jill, where he's flying around at supersonic speeds. But when, at the end of the day, Jill is lying and dying, she's going to die. He will not stop. And he brings up his sword and and he throws Jill aside to get, get out of my way. But Jill throws herself over Razine and he's holding his sword aloft. And the question for the reader is, do you think Guts is going to swing? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. At that moment, he is so gone. He is so driven and so lost in darkness that in that one moment, if he hadn't been interrupted, he would have killed both of them. I disagree. I and feel... I think, and I used to disagree as well. And I, I bring you back to one scene earlier which I think is the control of Guts. I know he's lost in that moment. I know it's very hard. But I just remember the scene where he's leaving the Band of the Hawks for the first time and he has his sword fight with Griffith and he, like, stops his blade. Obviously, he oh, doesn't want to kill Griffith. Comparable. But this is... No, but that's because oh, uh, he would... in He might start the swing. I could see that. But Guts, would I don't think, would ever finish it. I can just see that moment. The blade just going to get a hair to it for and then going... And, like, the wind just blowing yeah. aside... I don't think he would have gone through with it. And I just there feel like that's There is a scene guts. in this exact section where that exact thing happens, where he does stop the blade before it hits Jill. Yes. I think he just would have played out again. I don't think this is about him. He's on the edge. But I just think as a character, he hadn't crossed the line. And I also think that as a character, even Guts doesn't know what he was going to do in that scene. I think that in that moment... And this, by the way, is a new reading. I In all my previous readings of this arc... This chapter, I always took it that Guts was not going to swing. But this latest time, for some reason, I just have a different impression of it. But I also think that Guts, in that moment where he's holding the sword at its zenith, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what he's going to do. No, because I think, doesn't he, he raises the sword before he even knows Jill's going to throw herself across Rosine. That's right, but he doesn't then immediately lower the sword, does he? And his eye, specifically, I'm referring to the art here, is in its big, blazing white mode, which artistically is supposed to represent Guts's unending anger. The rest of his face is all blacked out. Like, it has a really clear meaning in Berserk as an, as an image. He has become a berserker. He's gone berserk. We haven't gone to that part of the manga yet. Fair enough. And I, I totally get your interpretation. And maybe that is definitely how the author intended. But I don't know. Just in my heart, I can see that blade coming down and it's stopping. And maybe I'm being naive. And maybe there'll be a scene later that will teach me otherwise. But that's how I feel about Guts. But you're right though. This art is about showing him as the monster. Or at least the monster he wants to present. And he's kind of wrestling with. Duncan, we talked about some of the characters. Are there any scenes that you really want to highlight? Just like, oh my god, 
That was so fucking cool. Talking about really awesome scenes, there's a scene in this where a swarm of these killer wasp elves are bearing down on a child in a village. And Guts leaps across the road. He goes, he grabs the child, he swings his blade about, he tries to keep the child safe. And he's like, how am I going to deal with this situation? And what he does, he takes the child, he takes his sword, he puts the child on the end of his sword and runs through the town. And all the evil wasps Non-lethally, he doesn't skewer the child. <laughs> yes, you know, he like, hangs him on his like, jacket. He pops him up. Like he's got him on, like he's got him on the end of a pole, and he's he has him up for the town. And he just like runs around like he's a flag. It's such a fun kind of quirky scene of guts both being like a, a bastard, but it's just such a hilarious visual. And then he like yeah, so gets good. all the bugs. Chase Park is so mad at him in that scene. I know. Well. <laughs> Just got to chill Puck a little bit. And then all the swarm chase him into a barn. And then Guts like swings, puts the child down, just swings his sword back and forth like a swi- uh, fly swatter, taking out all of the bugs. And then and then the barn like catches fire and he like walks out the barn with the little kid. And then he explodes the barn. He throws gunpowder into the fire. It's amazing. And then as it's like all burning and all the embers are going, we find out that the elves, once they've been killed, turn back into the body of the children that they were before and guts is just standing there next yeah. to this burning pile of dead children and that's when it's really horrific people don't like that yeah yeah that's really it's really it's really dark it also does not help his case with all those like the the pope's knights who are still following him so when they arrive in a town the town's like he killed so many children look at all these dead children corpses and they're like this guy's so fucking guilty let's get him let's get him and that's the weird... If I'm going to highlight awesome scenes, and specifically awesome moments, I keep talking about the bug fight. The bug fight is so inconsequential in terms of the actual story. It's just something to delay him from catching up so that Jill and Rosine can chat and hang out. It's just an exciting bit. Um, that fight is so cool. Like, the w- different ways in which he is challenged, like, mentally and physically to overcome this threat where, like, he gets chomped on either side of his neck and he has to escape the chomp as another bug is crawling from by ripping not just... He can't just kill the demon. He has to rip the spokes that are in the tree out. So you see the tree being ripped apart like a chainsaw as he's straining of his legs. And then he somersaults over it and he slices the other demons in half. And then he gets attacked by even bigger bugs. Baki Hanma, eat my eat your heart out. Guts has a, has a has his own fight against a giant mantis in this. It's an incredible scene, and you're right. It's kind of superfluous, yet so much like love and attention is put into the designs and the actual dynamicism of the fight. Guts is thinking this is good combat for our hero. Yes, he's physically capable, mm. but we can see him having to constantly solve puzzles and challenges. In the fight. That's what I love most about like good combat. And, and the best thing about this is that Guts finishes the fight like a good shonen protagonist because he invents a new move. A move that is so ridiculous and also just so fucking cool. Where he has his big old sword and he has his cannon arm and he combines the two. And this move, which he does again later in the series, like, this becomes, like, part of his arsenal, is that he crosses his arms and he holds his sword in one direction and his cannon arm in the other. And he fires the cannon. 
and he shoots the cannonball in one direction at one enemy, and he uses the momentum of the cannon firing to spin and do a big super slash in both directions. It is such an awesome scene, especially the way that you as the reader get to see it kind of like come together. You see the setup mm-hmm. and then you see the answer because there's a puzzle I don't know. It's like, I need to hit them both. I need to hit them both quickly, but I don't can't cut through. I don't have enough strength to cut through that guy's armor. It's really well done. Mm-hmm. I, okay, a little bit of logic here, Geordie. If you did that, wouldn't his arm, the cannon, just kind of like fling out behind him? Like, how does he capture that momentum? I guess if he were moving with it, like if you were already mo- rotating, it would sort of be like, you know, it would follow the path of least resistance. And he would just, it would just get added into like the momentum of his, of his, of his swing. He wouldn't keep spinning, obviously. He'd then like, it would overcome him. The arm's a lot, very heavy. It would throw him off balance. But, you know, he's got the center of gravity. You know, he can, he can lower himself and adjust himself on the spot. Fair. I will, I will accept this. It's a it is a great combat scene, as are basically all of them. But there's another scene, I mean, he, yep. which is, I think it doesn't have guts in, but it really stands out to my in my memory. That's a scene with our wonderful sidekick. Good idea which one I'm talking about. Park. He's I'm, our oh, sorry, I mean the scene. <laughs> but yes, so there's been this arc where Puck goes solo and I love the scenes of this character sort of like he kind of goes off, he tries to find Jill on her own on his own, Mm because Guts is an absolute very bad man and I like the fact that he how the arc kind of really shows his humour but how he's still serious and part of the world there's this great little bit at the start of one of the chapters where Puck is like armoured up with like a beetle what? Yeah. His arm is up like a beetle? No, he's armoured up. He's like a little shield. Like he's uh, made. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, fair enough. It's like I've one read panel. this thing like six times and I don't know what you're talking about. It's like one panel at the start of a chapter and it's just a little clip of him like... He's like created these little like tiny... It's literally just for one panel of him like working his way through the forest and he's just got like this little makeshift equipment he doesn't have it in the next scene or literally the next panel it's just for one little panel he's just like they're like whoop i'm going huh, but i enjoyed weird. that but no the, the iconic scene though with puck is when he catches up with the other elves elves and they're playing like a ball game and they're tossing this ball back and forth, and he's like, I'm going to go and just start playing with them. Maybe they'll accept me. And he captures the ball, and it, he turns it over, and it's a human eye. <laughs> so gross. So, so gross. Kudos to him. Doesn't immediately freak out. Definitely, like, Hook! chucks it away moment, a moment later. There is a bit in this story, though, where, like, he takes over as Jill's companion. He completely abandons Guts, and he's like, all right, I'm Jill's psychic now. Or I guess he probably thinks that she's his psychic, but... I think, okay, I've, bad remember saying he's Tony Disney, he doesn't fit in to Berserk, this character of No, Puck. he does fit, that's the point. He ha- he's there to give us levity. He's the moon glum to, to, to Guts as Elric. I, I get that. He is functionally and Berserk there. is a funny series. It's full of goofy shit like this. Do you not remember the conversation we were having like 40 minutes ago? 
I, 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 I can't, un- I don't, you need to understand that Berserk has layers, man. Um, g- 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 listen, this is as serious as Puck ever gets. I don't know what to tell you. He's a, he's just a joke machine later on in the manga, man. I am really, I'm so excited by how, like, oh yes, Puck, a serious and important character who adds layers to scenes because I've read forward in Berserk and he's not like that later. I'm sorry to reveal this to you. Okay. Maybe there's a few things here, though, that I think adds to the unsettleness, okay? And I want you to maybe help, help me work me through these emotions so I can like Puck like you love Puck. So, okay, Puck. We don't really see much during the entire Golden Age, which is a big stretch, of anything like Puck. You yeah, know? he's not needed. He's not needed, because we got the fun in the other characters. You know, there's guys yes. in the Band of the Hawk who bring that levity. And, and then also, also Guts is not as miserable in in the golden age arc like guts is cracking jokes and being sardonic and stuff all the time like remember the scenes with casca where he the two of them would argue guts doesn't have anyone to talk to in his black sword arc he needs someone to talk to and i get that and that works so i get him how he functions he does make this more enjoyable to read but puck is the only one of the few creatures and that all characters sorry characters who doesn't have a consistent art? All the art, and I, don't <laughs> know, like yeah. these, the forms and the fit of the human. The world feels so solid to me. Puck can go cartoony. Puck can go two yeah. D. You're talking about chibi art. Jordy, what's in chibi? In the world of, in the world of of manga, there is a um, there is a, a trope, a an artistic device of at certain times either to emphasize humor or shock, or basically, like, really exaggerated emotions. If you've ever seen the little stress marks over an anime character's head, that's part of this stylist choice, where you take an image of a character and you remove details, because you're showing them in, like, a a, a bare-bones, they only have one emotion in their head at this time approach. It makes them, as you say, cartoony. They can You can go even further than this, like, in... For Metal Alchemist, there are actually, like, three layers of character design, where a character is in their normal mode, they're in a slight chibi mode, and then there's a very specific, they are just a little oblong shape with some of their facial features attached. And this is just a a style that exists in the world of manga, both children's manga and adult manga. But it's not a style that existed for the entire Golden Age arc of Berserk. Nor the... Black Swordsman arc either. I don't think Puck was ever a little chibi boy. And it is very specifically only Puck who gets to do this because he is... He's a fairy. You know, he's a little... He's hes hes not human. He doesn't get to... Actually, that's not true. There is a slight chibi moment earlier in Berserk. It's the scene where Griffith shows Guts porn. They have the same... A, a reduced and not as exaggerated style. But no, they still use that element. I'm not sure if I'm actually remembering this scene. I will accept it that it's it isn't It's the thing where there. he shows him, like, I don't know, the cushion equivalent of a Kama Sutra. <laughs> All right. I might have to go and dig that one out. I actually really do want to revisit this scene to see the chibi art. So... It's not exactly chibi. It's slightly chibi. Fair okay, enough. so 
you've <laughs> called Park tonally dissonant, and I say he's not tonally dissonant, and I guess the reason for that is that Park is part of Berserk. Like, he is an essential part of it. Guts and Park are the dynamic duo, which Berserk is supposed to be based around. And which... Berserk has jokes in it. Like, it is a very dark series, but it's also full of moments like Griffith shows Guts porn. Or a guy, like, Guts humiliates a guy and, like, he fall- someone falls downstairs and shit. Like, you know, Jill's dad in this, as pathetic a character as he is, and he's supposed to be, a lot of the time, that's punctuated by the fact that, um, you know, he's a klutz. He, he trips and he falls down. And there's a scene in this where Azan, this one of these, like, knight characters following us around, is completely convinced that he's the dad of the year because he's pursuing his daughter, when really he's only in it for fame and glory. And that is a joke. That's not a super serious scene. Maybe then it's not the humour. Maybe it's kind of... How do I put it? Okay, I've got this now. The humour that I felt in the Golden Age... I do enjoy Puck and I, I really I do want to see them together and see their characters grow. But the Human in the Golden Age felt a little bit more intertwined with what was going on. I think the other thing then that makes Puck stand out, other than the fact that the artwork sometimes makes him literally kind of like pop out, is... That's called Chestnut Puck, by the way. That's what the fans call him. Is that we know so much about Guts. Puck, though, who are you? <laughs> Why is you I mean, like this? How did you get here? I'm glad you're here, so but thing, I don't understand. <laughs> the best thing is, is that um, the best thing is that it's not going to be explored in any of our episodes today because the exact moment where we start to get a hint as to Puck's past um, only comes after this this arc is done. And to be honest, Duggan, he's not a character. Like, not really. He's a two-dimensional character, and Guts is a three-dimensional character. Um, that's my point. <laughs> he looks more cartoony. He's two- ca- no, but that's not a problem, Duncan. There's nothing wrong with two-dimensional characters. Indiana Jones is a two-dimensional character. That's mean, but probably true. Yes, it is. Like, there's nothing wrong Definitely. with characters no, not having no, depth. There's nothing wrong with characters not having not depth. not the main character. And it's nothing about Puck not being a character. I enjoy Puck and he's fun to have. And I get why he works. He's the moon onto the Elvic. It makes sense. But the thing is, we have not had a Puck for a very long time. So it is weird to be given a Puck again and go, none of the, this is a two-dimensional, slightly cartoony, comic relief character who's going to accentuate and pull out our darker character. And you need this for the story to work. I get that. But just very different. I went through the Eclipse, Geordie. Where was Puck in the Eclipse? Puck was canonically near the Eclipse! Don't you remember? I know, he was watching on from the sidelines. It's and he, and, and R- Rickert meets Puck and he leaves with a little bag of fairy dust um, to go find the cyclone where the Eclipse is happening. I think I've just got to accept and move on. In a, in a way, you could put it that Puck is the hero of the Eclipse because he saves Guts, Guts and Casca. I'm I'm going to say it now, Jordy. I Having not read the rest of Berserk, I'm going to say Puck is the hero of Berserk because he saves Guts, probably. If he doesn't save him physically, he must save his soul and personality. That That is, that is 100% true. That is 100% true. Uh, Guts would not be go very far without his pal Puck. When does Guts start liking Puck? Maybe that's another element because Guts, the character that we've been <sighs> with for so long, is not buddying up to Puck. Maybe that's like gives it a bit more. When does Guts just turn around and go, I love you, buddy? I mean, 
So, I'm going to pull back the curtain on something this. And we shouldn't do this. We should wait our turn and we should tune in three years and we get to the near, the more modern parts of Berserk. But actually, Duncan, at a certain point, Guts literally stops talking to Puck. They're in scenes together and they don't talk. Like, I do not remember the last time in canon that Guts and Puck had a conversation. And I'm not exaggerating. What? Is it like a, like a plot point? Like, they have a falling out? No. Or? No, they just don't talk anymore. They just, they don't need to. Like, the story has moved past a point where their relationship is the core of the series. And I can't tell you why, because of spoilers. That's for next year. But, yeah, they just don't talk anymore. And it actually is really sad. And I'm not joking. The reason why I'm really coming out to bat for Puck here is that this is peak Puck. I made it sound like a joke earlier in the episode, but it's not. I will miss Puck greatly when we stop talking about the Lost Children arc. Well, now that's just made me feel sad. And it just I'm makes sad me too. Feel... I think Lots this is my thing, sad. It's the fact that reading The Lost Children, I loved it. It was a really great arc. But I felt like I don't know with confidence. At the end of The Golden Age, I felt like I could go... I know what Berserk is. I think I was lost that game, despite being quite similar to the Black Swordsman. This just does things differently. And I don't quite know, because the next up bit, obviously, so as we've, we've already read it, the next section is also quite different to this. I'm like, what is Berserk? Well, I think that's, I think you're onto something there, Duncan. I think, I think good. the Lost Children arc is not just an opportunity to reintroduce the guts as he was in the Black Swordsman arc. It's also about a character in Flux. Guts is deeply lost, and that will get explicitly called out. This is Kentaro This is him showing us that Guts is lost and full of despair and hate. And then at the start of the Conviction arc, we're going to be told, and he's going to receive guidance in the next episode. We're not talking about it now. <laughs> so you're telling me that the real lost children were the friends Puck made along the way? I mean, should we talk about the last lost child? Because there are no children left in that part of the world anymore. I think Guts killed all of them. Jill and Guts together. It was a team effort. It's Thomas and Jill. They're the only ones left. They are. That was... uh, No, we're not going to go into that. But Well, I will, actually. Why not? The number of children that the maths in this for these elves to account for. Like, they must have taken all the kids for miles around yes i was thinking at this time as well like holy shit there are so many kids and they kill each other a lot they do war games where they just stab each other and jill's like yeah we'll just get more we can get more down at the store so that's a lot of kids i just and also i'm just like how long has jill been out i think she's been at this for like four years two years two years oh no four years uh wait a little over two years i think because Jill's already turned before the eclipse, and it's been two years. Rosine. Oh, sorry, Rosine was turned into a I've demon. made that mistake before. I got made fun of on the Berserk subreddit for it. Oh, you poor man. You wait until we I get know. to the next arc. I'm a real struggler characters. here. I really struggled. But yeah, so Rosine's been turned before the eclipse. So it's two years, just over two years then, from the eclipse. So she probably only made the deal just before Griffith did. Yeah, I think so. Very much. I think he was one. new to the game when she showed up with the count slug to kill band of hawk members and the count slug also must have been quite new to the game as well that's probably why they were out in the world not in the eclipse because they were like new recruits 
Exactly. I also, heads up. I realized that they both backed away from the Skull Knight, which means they received like a memo. They received instructions like, all right, go to this location and kill these guys, okay? That's important. Destiny says so. But listen, if you see a guy who is just a skull man on a horse, get out of there. Don't tangle with that guy. I mean, yes, I love that. I also like the idea, like, they're still in communication. Because Rosine is very much like, I'm just having my, like, fairy time. But she must occasionally just get notes from, like, the hand being like, okay. Do you no, know I don't think she gets notes in the hand, Duncan. I think they are a bit more... <laughs> well, for one thing, they're focusing on other matters right now. But that's for the next episode. But also, I'm pretty sure they are not close managers. I don't think Void is coming around with a clipboard going, all right, let's look at your quota, okay? How many people have you killed? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Yeah. I see you got a little you got a little friend. Yeah, fine, you can do you can do that. Whatever, it's no big deal. Do you think though that Rosine actually has like a quota for doing evil? Or do you think it's like part of the transformation? Or do you think that they only make offers to people that they know no. will do evil? The philosophy of the god hand, well, you can't do it unless you're evil. You have to make a sacrifice. That's the whole point. You have to prove you're evil. You cross that boundary. You cast off all inhibitions of humanity. Demons in this are truly free. Like, their philosophy is do as thou wilt. You know, they can just do what they like. And that's what she does. This is her evil desires unlatched. She just gets to do as she pleases. That's the whole point. And do as you please is is, is wicked in this case. I just feel like there's never a scene where Jill just goes, Rosine, like, we can have fun with all the elves but can we not kill each other for fun games she does say exactly that to rosine and rosine refutes her because oh. she says and this is the thing she says that we're not as violent as the grown-up world the world out there is wicked we're safe here we're, they're playing at war games but we can always just get more kids oh. it's it's her way of saying the world is wicked so who cares how wicked i am Hey, look at that. It's one of the themes of Berserk. Preserving your humanity when life is unfair to you. Duncan, I want to talk about themes. I want to talk about Jill. You ready? Go on. Lay it upon me. I feel like your thesis kind of works out. Jill, in this arc, is essential to the story because she is Guts. She is a depiction of Guts, and this is very important, as a girl. Guts, as a boy, was identified right from the start. This guy's useful to us. He can carry a sword. He can kill people. He can be used for utility. Jill does not have that option. Jill is not big and strong like Guts. Jill will never be big and strong like Guts. Casca is the exception. Jill has a very similar upbringing to Guts. She is raised in an abusive home. If you can even say that Guts had a home. She is at risk of being sexually attacked. She yearns for security, but she doesn't have a sword. Guts finds security by wrapping himself around a sword like it's his mother. It's the only thing that can keep him safe. And Guts, as long as he lives, he's learnt from an early age that as long as he holds a sword, he can be safe because he can kill the people who would hurt him. And Jill doesn't have that option. So Jill, throughout the story, is in a constant state of flux. She's looking for somewhere to escape to. Duncan, our show is called Is This Just Fantasy? And Berserk, the Lost Children arc, attacks the very idea of fantasy. The idea that reading this story is about escapism 
the characters in it are not able to escape. Because the thesis statement of this manga is that life is unfair, and it is cruel, and it is full of suffering. And surrendering to it either means dying or turning evil. Like letting the world turn you into a cruel, horrible person. The reason why Guts' struggle in this is not just physical, but it is in his very soul, is that he's on the edge of corruption. Just like Rosine. Rosine fell. And Jill is also on that path. Jill represents the idea that Guts might be able to win through because Jill rejects evil. She gets this moment, and I only notice it this time through. I love this so much. When Jill is going to be put to sleep, to be put into a cocoon, it is really, really similar to Griffith's transformation when he's wrapped up and he's being deconstructed so that he can be reconstructed into one of the God Hand. So you see this line of symbolism. Jill and Rosine as Guts and Griffith being given the same choice, one of them succumbing, one of them refusing. The idea that there is no holy land, there is no safe place that you can retreat to. The theme, the core theme of Berserk is that life is unfair and you have to struggle through. And that's the micro lesson which we see Jill learn in this. Jill doesn't get anything to defend herself at the end. Except um, a little chestnut given to her by, 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 by Puck and some healing fairy dust. But that's all. All Jill gets to walk away with is the idea that if she doesn't give up, maybe one day, maybe one day she can have a better life. Do you also draw comparisons to... I know you actually said that she's not like Cusca, but Cusca's origins um, and her life that she escaped... And that Griffiths offered her a sword. No. No? No, there's a very important difference. Uh, Casca is, represents, a f- in the world of Zerg, represents a failure. Because Casca can only live for the sake of other people. She has to live for Griffith. And when she can't live for Griffith, that is emotionally devastates her. That's not a healthy way to live. Casca is not, in the, most of the Golden Age, living a fulfilling life. And when she's given the chance of being given a more fulfilling life by being with Guts, a man she loves, she rejects it. Okay, very well. I, I, can, I can definitely kind of accept that. I did feel at the end when she sent her away, I'm like, you're going to give her just that? Like, I almost wanted her to be given a sword. I'm like, that is not the answer. It's, yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be nice? But no, it can't, it's not going to happen. Jill can't solve her problems with a sword. She's not big enough to swing a sword around. She doesn't have the same chances as Guts. She has to make her own chances. And it's sad. And it's unfair. And I was really upset about this the first couple of times I read through this arc. That she was just abandoned. Like, Puck could have gone with her instead of Guts. But at the end of the day, I realized that Jill is Guts. And more importantly, we are Jill. We as a reader, we're supposed to see more of ourselves in Jill than we are Guts, even though he's the one, he's the cool guy who you want to be. When I first started working out of a gym, it was to a specific anime-themed workout playlist, which was based around Guts. I mean, very nice. Yeah, 
he's he's the I I can get any get as I don't want to be guts. He has way too much trauma to uh, desire that. But I can certainly but, see myself. But in... guts is the struggler, and we all want and we all want to be someone who can struggle through the worst things in life. And so that's kind of where you're saying with Jill, and that's why I think it's really important. What we think back to what we said earlier that a lot of Jill's problems are much more closer to life, and Jill herself is closer to life because a lot of us, I'm not supposed to be for everyone, can't take up the sword as it were like that's not how you solve your problems mm. especially when you're uh sometimes a child like it's hard you can and but if you just keep struggling i'm not saying doing nothing and just suffer that is not the message i'm getting across but i'm saying just keep no, struggling and that's not the message berserk does either yeah. laying down is losing keep struggling in the hope that things will be better is a good and not in the hope that in the drive to yourself make things better Specifically, like, Berserk, ultimately, if you really pinned it down, the message is, never give up. But it's a very different never give up from so many different depictions of that phrase. Because that phrase almost feels, you know, childish. Never give up. Or sometimes you do need to give up. The point of the series is that whatever your backslide is, however far you go, you could always come back. You could always become a better person. That's what it's really about. It's a very different depiction of what giving up means. Never give up on yourself, even though it doesn't... No, a specific dream or action. Yeah, good. Thank you, Duncan. I think that's really nice. And that's why I'm so glad to have read this arc. I think this arc coming after Golden Age. While I did find it weird, and I did take me a while to get Puck, I think it's really nice to reacquaint me with it. In fact, having that break... My year-long break between Golden Age and The Lost Children kind of felt right. Like, I needed that time, and this worked as a reintroduction. That's interesting, Duncan. Yeah, I mean, this might become an annual thing. I mean, I'm not in control of it now. After we do the next episode, I, I wash my hands of it. You have to decide when we read more Berserk. Um, and I hope it happens. I really need it, man. Jordy, I have... No doubt that I'm going to want to continue Berserk because this is a story that I want to see the end of. Because you can give these messages of never give up, but I feel like never give up messages need to have a certain type of ending to really land. You can't never give up and then just have the heroes just luckily get what they want or get everything that they want. There's a lot more to it. so Yeah, man. That's, that's a question which so many Berserk fans are asking, and we were asking a lot a couple of years back when Kantaro Miura passed away. That was, um, are we happy with where it's ending now? Do we need it to be finished? <sighs> those were dark days. Those were dark days. They were really, really an upsetting time. But those dark days are, to an extent, over. More Berserk is coming out? It is, it is. Another chapter came out, um came out last month i actually missed it because i fucking hate the berserk subreddit so i never get updates on where chapters are coming out so it's a complete surprise to me i only discovered it earlier today because i was looking at berserk stuff um but man the berserk subreddit is awful it's awful god i hate all those assholes if you're listening to it from the berserk subreddit though love you guys you guys are great you totally understand what this series is about and aren't always making these awful fucking jokes where there is a specific subreddit for Get your berserk or jerk shit out of my fucking timeline. 
Oh, I, I, I don't know what to say to that. Some Reddit's too- I hate weebs, Duncan. I hate them all. Except the ones who listen to this episode, you're cool. Because you're fantasy fans. You read other books. You read books. That's something you can say, not say for a lot of weeaboos. Geordie, it sounds like a, it sounds a really stupid thing to do at the end of this particular episode, but I've got to ask, do you recommend The Lost Children arc? Not Berserking Children. I Jill- do. Yeah. You shouldn't skip it. It's not filler. I do. It's it's not filler. I've heard it called filler in the past, and it's not filler. For sure. It's, it's, it's a really good part of Berserk. Um... Highly recommended. Thematically strong. The usual problematic berserk sexuality stuff. It's not the worst it ever gets. That's about the best I can say for it. It's not the trolls. Oh boy. I've got that to go through. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't say look forward to. Because I'm not going to look forward to that. And I too recommend The Lost Children. For people that have come this far. Obviously keep continuing. If you... Pass through the eclipse. You can pass through Lost Children and keep enjoying this story. I think I've made it very clear how it it does feel different, but it it still feels very good overall. This is really well written. The artwork is stunning and consistently stunning. I think it's the main thing. So coming off a lot of like Western comics, you've got changing styles and artists and rush deadlines to see just something that is consistently looks uniform and this good and it's well done. It's such a treat. Yeah, and the rest of the story looks like this arc. I think this arc is where it really defines the art style going forward to a T. And um, from now on, the series just looks like this. It just looks gorgeous. I particularly do enjoy the fact that we got the Berserk prototype included in this collection. Duncan, would you recommend a Berserk prototype? I I would recommend a Berserk prototype, but as it's included in this collection, do not read it until you get to this stage. Finish the eclipse at the very least, and then go. I'm going to check. This out This isn't the Elric. You can't read the series in any order you like. You got to read chapter one. You got to read the Golden Age, <laughs> and the Berserk prototype, and then this in that order specifically. It was very cute to see some of the ideas, and certainly the fact that Berserk started out as more of that Monsters of the Week, and then it gives you that new appreciation of how it really transformed. I I love Berserk, even when at times I hate reading <laughs> Berserk. I never truly hate reading Berserk. I can't get enough. Oh my god, it's a difficult relationship. Well, Duncan, that's all of Berserk for us, I think. Don't you dare. We have got so much more to oh? talk about, Geordie. Can't be contained to one oh, episode. Oh, that's right. There's a whole other part of this arc. That's right. Next time, you'll catch up with us with the rest of the Conviction arc. The part that's about the Tower of Conviction and a bit that the Conviction is in. So looking forward to it. And if you're listening to this and you have read all of Berserk, part of Berserk, just watched the anime or seen the memes online, please go and join the conversation and tell us what you think about it over our Instagram, It's Just Fantasy Podcast. And in more in-depth, you can always reach out to us at our Gmail. It's just fantasypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. I would really like people to engage on this one because even though I made a joke about the Berserk subreddit because a lot of Berserk fans suck, I really like to talk with Berserk fans. I really like to because Berserk is a series that really leaves an impact on people. It really leaves an impression. People care about it for a specific reason. It touches us in, in really deep places and and i would really like to be able to share those experiences with people who are genuine fans and not just a bunch of fucking shit posters 
Well, you have been scarred. No shit posting on. I truly have. Again, I am the real struggler, Duncan. Of course you are, Geordie. As are we all. Well, we'll see us next time in the titular Tower of Conviction. I don't think it's actually titular. It's not in any of the actual titles. It's just, it's just what I call for the next subsequent arc. And I think you have a host, Uncle Nickel. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.